Welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air, episode 75, our diamond episode. We love to make great products. Our mission is to make the world more open and connected. Google's mission is to organize the Yahoo is about making the world daily happy. Incredible way on Wall Street. I'd like to let Macintosh speak for itself. Now, the research program that I've been trying to more difficult inventions. I have three hands. Around the clock, America's beat of mind. More than 20 years ago, the radio was learning to talk. Coming to you from our world headquarters in San Francisco, welcome to Hearsay Social on the Air. I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Melissa DeSantis. And here we are, episode 75, and it has taken this long for us to invite a very special guest today, Gary Leo, our VP of Marketing here at Hearsay Social. So welcome, Gary. Thanks so much, Alyssa and Victor. Pleasure to be here. So we've got a lot to talk about today regarding the Omnichannel Advisor, and we've got a whole program lined up to uh, talk with Gary about this and just have a a discussion. But before we do that, Gary, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of your background? Sure. Yeah, I've been at uh, Hearsay Social uh, with with the privilege of running the marketing team now for almost three years. Um, But I've been in the business world for over 20 years. Actually, before that, I started off as an engineer at Ford Motor Company Mm -hmm. before I made my way to Silicon Valley. And I've uh, since been in various, you know, business leadership and marketing leadership roles since then. Um, so it's been a blast. And uh, I just enjoy, you know, working with our customers and working with our, our teams and um, helping transform businesses and transform industries. Mm-hmm. Well, like me, you know, we go out to the field, we attend industry events, we also go to uh, customer conferences and we speak on a regular basis. And it was about this time last year that we introduced the Advisor of the Future. So it was actually episode 27 of our podcast where we sat in this very same room and we started talking about the vision for the industry and where it was headed, how it was going to affect advisors and agents and businesses and the types of steps that they needed to take. But I think it was more looking at the steps they needed to take in five or 10 years. So it was pretty aspirational. And lately, we've been hearing a lot more about Omnichannel. So to get us started, can you help us define exactly what is Omnichannel? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's something that gets asked a lot, and, it's, and the term has been around a long time. I mean, let me first ask maybe the two of you, when you think of Omnichannel, how do you think it's applied? Melissa, what do you think? Yeah, I have typically thought of Omnichannel as paired sort of with the retail industry, and some like e-commerce. Yeah. yeah, it's about that consumer experience as you walk into the retail business and how the retailer or brand develops a quote-unquote relationship with you. And so the origins of the term is... Uh, go back all the way to early 2000 when the thought was, hey, we need to be more, brands need to be more, be more customer centric. Right? Mm-hmm. But it really was because of the advancement of technology uh, with the introduction of the iPhone and mobile technology around you know, past 2007, 2010, when Omnichannel started getting some legs. And it was really about that consumer shopping experience in the retail industry. And I would define it as basically providing a seamless experience for customers across all the channels. Mm-hmm. And specifically how that customer experiences the brand as they search for the product. But when you think about it, I think we have to rethink how Omnichannel is defined. I think it's evolved a lot, again, because of the pace of innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you think about who owns the 
brand in terms of trying to provide that omni-channel experience, it's marketing, mm-hmm. right? It's us. It's marketing. It's <laughs> us, right? And, and as much as it pains me to say this as a fellow marketer, um, I don't think it is about the marketing or the brand and the relationship with the consumer. I think ultimately it's people selling to people. Mm-hmm. People buy from people. Trust is built up from people. And I think the way that technology has really empowered consumers now to be able to have more information at their fingertips, in their hip pocket, on their phone, they have the power now. And so they can make much better informed decisions. Um, And as sellers, you have to make sure that those individuals that are on the front lines that are actually selling to those people, they are also omnichannel. It's not about the company or the brand providing an omnichannel experience at that level Mm -hmm. through marketers. It's about those companies enabling their salespeople, especially in distributed sales or field organizations like what we experience in financial services, to be omnichannel. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing is the you are the brand and going out there to advisors and agents and really pushing the fact that they may work for a large firm, they might work for a broker dealer and insurance company, but in effect, the relationships they have with their customers are because of them as individuals. And so in looking at translating this whole omnichannel idea how do we look at this from an omni-channel advisor perspective? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I think in industries like financial services and insurance, where trust, personalization, and relationships matter, you have to be both high-tech and high-touch mm-hmm. in today's world. And you have to leverage the strength that these firms have, which is their distributed sales teams, and make sure that they make them omni-channel. And I define omni-channel for the advisor, the omni-channel advisor, in four major uh, ways. So number Mm -hmm. one, they have to be findable. Mm -hmm. So there's a study by FPA, uh, their communication evolution report from last year, that says that 77% of prospective clients aged 18 to 44 research advisors online before meeting or afterwards to validate that advisor. So, so this is actually the exercise of people going online, doing a Google search, much like what we talked about last last time with Greg, in going to doing a search and then looking at the results. And it could be a LinkedIn profile page. It could be a website. But they're doing all this to validate why they want to work with someone. And that's why it's so important to have that presence. Right. Your personal brand as an individual mm-hmm. salesperson now precedes you online. So if you don't have a findable presence across your website, across your social network profiles, um, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. So find a, findability is number one. Okay. The second thing is being accessible and responsive. It's not just okay to be findable. Um, in the old days, the way you were findable is someone would walk through your front door mm-hmm. as an insurance agent, for example, in your local town. And now in the world that we live in where People are walking in through multiple doors, whether that be your advisor website, LinkedIn, Facebook, text messaging, right? Because you have a mobile phone now. Um, And now consumers expect that you are findable and accessible anytime, anywhere, not just sometimes, and not just through your front door. And I think that this is where the retail and the entertainment space is making an influence in the financial services world just from the standpoint, because you said it's this rising expectation that the people will be available both online, but been available on demand. That's know, right. When, when they need them. The, on their terms, mm-hmm. in their timetable, in the way that they want to engage. So you have to be, make sure that, therefore, the 
the sellers, the agents, the advisors, the wholesalers are also able to respond to that demand. Mm -hmm. And I think you have this rise of like prospective clients and just buyers being very, very informed. So, you know, you see something through an email marketing campaign and then you actually walk through the door and you kind of expect the same discount or whatever it is. You're just a very intelligent sort of smart buyer and you're able to comparison shop, whether it's insurance that you're buying or whether you're buying a water bottle, you know? Absolutely. And, And it's that combination of being high tech and high touch. You may start the conversation online, you know, responding to an email, responding to a text message, responding on social network. But the goal still in this industry is to build that trust face to face. And so you need to be able to combine that. And this is where the term omnichannel comes into play. It has to be a seamless experience. And I think that's just a great point, Alyssa. Um, number three is just be able to provide tailored expert advice across the appropriate channels. So as a omnichannel advisor, you need to be able to provide value added content, not product pitches, Mm -hmm. but value added content through these channels and be able to identify, you know, which of your customers and which segments are going to respond to what type of content across which type of channel. So that's number three. And number four, I would say the definition of an omnichannel advisor is being informed by the data that now these channels afford you, but still building your business based on those relationships. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, I think if you're able to combine those two, Um, you're going to be very successful in meeting the client expectations today. It's such an advantage to be able to start a conversation with a prospective client knowing some of their behaviors. And it's kind of like, you know, what you said, like um, being findable or being accessible through, you know, multiple doors, that's valuable. But having information for when you walk through that door and you have that first conversation with a, you know, potential, you know, your future advisor and knowing that there was a birthday or an anniversary or their kid is going to college, like that is information that is readily accessible today. And it wasn't before. Mm -hmm. And especially as we mentioned, this being a very trusted relationship. And the fact is that advisors and agents and producers are looked upon as these thought leaders that are helping guide these people through some very you know, difficult decisions in some cases, navigating through the choppy and volatile markets. They're looking for that touch and they're coming at their advisors perhaps from different channels and different approaches. Uh, so you and I have been out to industry conferences and also some of the conferences of some of our customers talking about these themes. And I'm kind of curious because you just got back from Florida and you were talking to a number of senior executives and introducing or talking about this topic. What has been the reaction? It's been... Um Really interesting. I was at the uh, Limber conference last week with some of their top sales executives, mm-hmm. and I was just at a uh, uh, meeting with a customer and their executive team uh, a couple of days ago down in Palo Alto. And we've been sharing this idea of an omnichannel advisor with them, and it's resonated really well. I think, you know, to take a step back for a moment, uh, the way that I shared this with them in some of our keynote presentations and discussions is. Much has been written about the seismic changes that are happening right now across the world we live in, mm-hmm. driven by the technology and innovation that everybody's experiencing, us as consumers, but also businesses in their respective industries. And financial services is uh, part of that as well. And the, if you think about just the last five years or so, I think it's the pace of innovation has really been driven by three core technologies. Mm-hmm. So social media, mobile technologies, and data analytics. Hmm. People will talk about Internet of Things and wearables and other items, but I think they're just offshoots of those three core technologies. Mm -hmm. So let me talk about each of those three things. So first, social media. We all know that there's over 2 billion people on social media today. 
it's now the number one online activity surpassing email. And I liken it to, we just finished the Super Bowl here in San Francisco, huh. uh, and we're going to be starting spring training and baseball season soon. Mm-hmm. The national pastime, as they call it here in the United States. I think the new national pastime, the global pastime, <laughs> is social media. That's how you pass your time when you're in line at Starbucks. <laughs> it's how you pass your time when you're waiting to board at the gate. And when you see people in the streets, what are they doing? They're just you know going on their mobile phone and flipping through their feed. So that's social. That's dramatically changed how people are connecting with one another and getting information and getting referrals. Uh, it's funny you say that because, as you know, I commute by train uh, to and from the office. And I, I did this like this visual check as I'm walking down the aisle and yeah. seeing the people are sitting and they're all on their tablets or their smartphones. And not to pry, but I'm like looking at the screens and I recognize an Instagram screen and I recognize a Facebook and I recognize a LinkedIn. And it's true. This is what people are doing in those, you know, those moments between point A and point B. It's amazing. And, you know, when I was at this conference, you mentioned, you know, being on the road, I, I asked the questions, you know, how many people have smartphones now and everybody raises their hands. And I said, well, how many people have Blackberries now, like nobody raises their hand, except for the, for the one guy from Canada from Waterloo that was sheepishly raising his hand. Um, but by and large, everybody has a smartphone now, mm-hmm. um, which which leads me to my second point. I mean, mobile technology um, has only uh, accelerated this adoption of social media. Sure. The fact that last year, for example, 2015, there are 1.4 billion smartphones sold. Think about that. Oh, and now crazy. there are more now there are more smartphones and mobile devices than people in the world today. I mean, they own multiple devices. I'm sure both of you own wow. multiple devices at home, too. Yeah. So you think about the access to information that, you know, we all have now at our fingertips. Um, so I think that has is the second big technology that provides instant access. It's how we capture information. And what do we do with that information? We post it on social. We text it to somebody. We email that off to somebody, mm-hmm. right? We search to, on a website to find that information. And all that is in our hip pocket. So you think about those four channels, social, email, text messaging, and you know the internet or Googling and going to websites to find more information. Those are how people are finding information. And that's been accelerated by mobile technology. And the last thing, the third item is data analytics. Mm-hmm. In the last two years alone, 90% of the world's data ever created was developed, right? just in the last 24 months. And again, that's only going to accelerate as computing power increases and storage costs decrease. I hadn't heard that. Oh my. That is I pretty was like, crazy. Well, both, both of, if you could see us, both like, yeah. listen, our like, jaw dropped <laughs> with that stat. And what's amazing is it's not that's the world's data, and you think about the data that is being shared, you know, on social, on mobile, but also think about, you know, as our listeners, in their four walls, their businesses, you know, some of our customers, they have tons of data that they have. It's about what are they doing with that data, mm-hmm. though? Mm-hmm. How are they connecting that data with other data sources, with the data that's being shared across and between advisors and clients, for example? So. I think those are the big three technologies that are, are really changing this. And you know, as you talk about, you know, what what whether this is resonating or not, I think the industry, you know, these sales executives, marketing leaders, uh, our customers, they get that. They understand these changes. These aren't new things, but I think when you look at them in totality, people's light bulbs go off and they say, "Wow, this is a real opportunity." But I think what's even more interesting is the application of these technologies. Right, it's right. not just the technologies alone. These technologies alone are great. They work really well. 
but it's the application. So as consumers, applications of the, of the technologies are things we know, right? Airbnb, if you want a place at a, at a place you're vacationing. Uber, if you want to hail a, some transportation in a, in a city. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, right? The social networks. The application of those technologies, we all know as consumers. But I think if you think about the financial services and insurance industry, this is also uh, something that has arrived as well. Mm-hmm. Applications of technologies that are meant to either disrupt this industry or enable this industry. So let me give you a few uh, examples. So companies like Metro Mile mm. or Color Genomics or Shore or uh, Lemonade are four startups, essentially, mm-hmm. in the insurance tech and fintech worlds that are now trying to get into the financial services industry. And I think represent potential partnerships, uh, but also potential disruption for traditional financial services and insurance firms. Mm-hmm. And I remember last year at our Innovation Summit that we had Dan Preston from Metro Mile come out and speak. And you could just tell from the more established insurance carriers that were out in the audience that these eyebrows were raising in the entire way of rethinking the insurance industry, and very specifically there, the experience of buying auto insurance. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, Metro Miles basically rethinking auto insurance. It's Mm -hmm. basically, they offer a device that sticks into your vehicle diagnostic system, and it basically charges you for insurance, you know, per mile, and based on how you drive. And they have a mobile app that also allows the driver to see not only how they're driving, but offers tips for how they could drive more safely. It also gives them information about the health of the car because it's plugged into the car vehicle's diagnostic system. So, you know, really rethinking uh, auto insurance. And they've actually partnered with Uber. So you talk about the confluence of these technologies. Mm. Uber insures its drivers a million dollars as part of the uh, benefits of being an Uber driver. But what about when they're not driving? Mm. Even they're driving all the time as Uber, they still need to have personal car insurance. But by partnering with Metro Mile now, Uber basically now is basically saying, you're only having to pay for auto insurance when you're not driving as Uber Uh by the mile, as opposed to the way that traditional auto insurance is purchased. Um, I mean, you take take a look at Shore, not many people have heard of that, but that's basically uh, micro uh, duration life insurance. Basically it's a mobile app that you can basically get life insurance, not travel insurance, when, before you're about to go on a plane hmm. for that trip. Hmm. So think about that for a moment. That's pretty bizarre, <laughs> depending on which kind of trip you're taking. I guess that's, <laughs> that's pretty important. Wow. Uh, some people are afraid of flying. Right. Um, and then, you know, I'll just say one more thing. Lemonade was the, uh, you know, they're actually speaking at our Innovation Summit this year on uh, May, May 4th and 5th. And they were the largest uh, seed funding within insurance and fintech last year. I think they got $13 million from... Uh, VCs like Sequoia, but basically um, they're providing peer-to-peer um, PNC insurance. Right. And they're actually registering to be a carrier in New York right now. Right. So, you know, again, a lot of different companies coming into this space. So if you're an executive at an insurance company and you're learning about all these different companies, I mean, the thought process and that has to be going through their heads is, are we innovating fast enough, you know, to embrace the changing expectations as well as consumer behaviors and some of these smart, uh, smart, uh, small, you know, applications that are really looking at ways of, uh, you know, addressing insurance in a different perspective with a different method, and uh, and it seems to be gaining traction. So, was there any feedback specific to that 
audience and how they were reacting to this information? Yeah, I think they uh, they were all taking notes <laughs> and they said, hey, can you send me that list of companies again? And um, I think they see these as either threats or opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I think um, potentially in the example that you gave from last year's summit, I think some uh, some firms viewed it as a threat, companies like Metromile, because it was disrupting their business potentially, mm-hmm. uh, while others saw it as a partnering opportunity. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, what if we, you know, did something new with this technology? How, well, how would that look like? How, what if we partnered with them? So the com- the group that was here in Palo Alto that I spoke with on Monday of this week, they were here as part of an innovation tour, really trying to understand how to rethink their business. Mm-hmm. So they're in that camp that really wants to figure out how to take advantage of this. And I think if you think about the the buyer journey. I think everybody understands that the way that life insurance or wealth planning used to be sold, right? Again, I talked about that linear process walking through the front door uh, is no longer effective. Mm-hmm. And the way that now business has to be done in this omni-channel world where you have these multiple doors and a non-linear path to get this information and find the right advisor or agent to work with where the consumer has more of the information, more of the power, is something that they know that they need to figure out what technologies exist that I can have to instrument and wire my business and my advisors to be ready for this new world that we're in. So given that consumer behaviors and expectations are changing and, you know, the industry that we focus on, financial services, like the way that I think about it is like you have the opportunity to adapt or you kind of get left behind. Um, Some people say adapt or die. Or you die. Yeah. (laughs) Not to be dramatic. (laughs) Well put. I like that. I like that. I'm going to use that now. I hope that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, how do you think, Gary, like our industry is really um, looking to adapt? Like how can we be? thinking about this a little differently. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think it's a really interesting way to frame it because I think uh, you're right, ultimately. And what we've seen and what I've seen in talking to some of these executives at these firms is that a lot of them typically are part of firms that invest in their business and in the channel, but they're doing it in that old definition, right? They're investing in the brand. They're investing in what I call digital direct, the corporate website, the self-service site, Mm -hmm. the robo-advisor platform or partnership, the mobile app, right? Yet they're leaving their advisors really this core strength of their business in an industry that's built on trust and relationships and personalization, as we talked about earlier, they're leaving them behind. And, you know, if you think about the two different types of selling, there's direct selling, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, uh, say, the robo-advice or self-service path, or there's this human-led relationship-based sale and advice model. And that direct selling model that companies are investing in works really well if you have a seat on a plane that you're trying to sell, or if you have a car that you're trying to rent from your fleet, or potentially even some forms of insurance, like auto insurance. We've seen that model work in a direct model. But if you think about life insurance, or if you think about wealth planning, or some of these more complex um, products and services that our customers and financial services firms in general offer, uh, that is very much primed for this sort of human-led 
personalized relationship-based selling that is both, again, high-tech and high-touch. Mm-hmm. Yet, again, firms are investing in that other side, that, that digital direct uh, corporate um, investment. And I think that leaves what I call the, the digital divide, mm-hmm. right? Basically, you've got this experience for the consumer that is wonderful and beautiful and seamless when they go to the company website. But when they go talk to their local advisor or agent, it's nothing like that. Mm -hmm. And these advisors are stuck with um, an email system that's still, you know, basically Lotus Notes, for example, (laughs) or they're not on social or if they have a social, they're they're just static profiles and not really that active because they haven't been enabled with it. Mm -hmm. Or um, their um, website, it was from the 1990s, right? And it's static and doesn't really work well on a tablet or mobile device or text messaging. Their company's policy is you can't text message, even though their clients are messaging them. Mm -hmm. So it's a bit um, in stark contrast with that experience that the consumers are getting. So there's this really fragmented experience for consumers and there's this digital divide between the corporate products and technologies that are being used versus what the advisors are instrumented with. So at a brand level and at a corporate level, I think it only helps the brand. It only helps corporate. It only helps those folks at the you know C-level looking at like the corporate website to have an advisor website, for example, be on brand. And it's it, it's an extension, right? And so you're in San Francisco. You're in you know Lexington, Kentucky. You're in these different cities and communities. It only helps your brand to have that extension really filter down and then allow those advisors to really run with it a little bit. It's the balance. Yeah, exactly. What if you were able to instrument and enable those advisors to be omnichannel with um, the ability to be engaging with their clients on social, on email, on modern websites, through text messaging, and provide that unified experience you're talking about, that between what the brand's providing and what these advisors are providing at each of their different local touch points, they're providing a much more now seamless experience with the clients. And then think about the data, going back to the data again, that now can be combined between that what's the advisor is learning by engaging with their clients at scale alongside with all that corporate data that's being collected through their other channels and, and the cross-channel insights that exist now if those are fused together. And that's, you know, that's largely, again, what, what here's a social and, and what our predictive omnichannel suite is, is designed to do. Well, with Gary, with everything that you're talking about, I mean, I can't help but think that especially right now, uh, we've had a volatile market in 2016, and this is when I think that investors really need their advisors and their agents more than ever. And I think there's a real appetite at that level to have access to these tools and channels to be able to communicate uh, because people are looking for that information, whether it's content that's being shared through LinkedIn or tweets or videos, there's different ways that the that the advisor and agent can communicate with their clients. And what I love about social is that it's a pretty democratic from the standpoint that whether you are an investor with you know millions of dollars or a couple thousand dollars, a tweet goes to everybody who follows you. Uh, a LinkedIn post goes to everyone who's connected to you. And so in light of the fact that a lot of these firms and the agencies seem to be investing at the brand level, how do they trickle that down to investing at the individual level, and what are we doing to address that? I mean, that's really why we designed the predictive 
omnichannel suite. I mean, we started off, as many people know, with Hearsay Social, our product mm-hmm. to enable advisors to be able to engage effectively with their clients and their prospective clients on social. But based on the success that our clients were having with social in terms of growing their business and uh, representing their brand in a consistent way, a lot of our clients said, hey, how do we instrument in the same way that you've done for social, our advisors to be active in text messaging, to have a modern website, to be able to intelligently email people in a personalized and personable way. And that's really how the Omnichannel Suite came about, Mm -hmm. really, um, which is we're providing that bridge and that solution for insurance companies and financial services firms to be able to modernize the way that their advisors engage with their clients across web, across social, across text, across email for today's always connected world. And we're doing that, but still enabling the business, the home office, to have some control over, obviously, the compliance aspects. You know, having a unified dashboard for the advisor is great to be able to manage simply those four channels in a way that makes them more productive. But also, the home office needs to make sure that they're doing that in a compliant way. In addition, providing the marketing teams a centralized way to be able to serve up pre-approved content that's on brand and that helps amplify the messages that the brand is already getting out through their more traditional corporate channels. And then lastly, for the sales management teams that are responsible for these producers and these advisors to be able to have visibility around how effective and how productive are their field teams actually being by leveraging these channels? Where are their clients most engaged? How long has it been since they engaged those clients? By providing all that centrally also to the home office, they're better informed Mm -hmm. as well to only further optimize the way that their advisors and, frankly, the business overall uh, engages clients uh, in their local communities. And I think when we talk about the suite, sometimes it can sound like we're asking advisors and agents to, you know, get with the times and do more. Mm-hmm. You should be on social. You should be on every social network. You should be emailing. You should be working on your website. You should be texting your, you know, prospective um, clients. When you talked about being, you know, high tech and high touch, I think the value really comes at spending your time wisely and being productive with technology. So we're not just asking people to do more but we're asking them to spend their time with this balance of technology and then with their relationships. I think that's a great point. That's why the Hearsay Omnichannel Suite is purpose-built for salespeople, for advisors, for agents, for wholesalers. It has to be simple. It's not for the brand marketer uh, primarily because we know that salespeople, they don't have time to be deep experts in using all these technologies. They have to be able to get in and get out. And we have an entire team that's focused on UI and UX, the the user interface and the user experience, to make sure that as salespeople that don't have a lot of technology training or time, that this experience is as simple and as efficient as possible. So, Gary, what is the end goal? I mean, how does this benefit the advisor and and the firms that they represent? Yeah, I mean, just to summarize, I think there's really four key benefits here that instrumenting the advisors and the firms this way provide. So number one, it's frankly being able to engage clients at scale and and better understanding those customer needs. Uh, Second, I think in this time of, you know, the aging advisor we often hear about with a large population of the existing advisor community set to retire in the next five to 10 years, it's 
critical that this industry figures a way to recruit the next-gen advisor. And these technologies are the way that these millennials and next-gen advisors expect to be able to grow their business, which mm-hmm. leads me to my third benefit. It's really being able to help these new advisors succeed faster, be able to hit the ground running and leverage their existing networks and technologies that they're already well-suited for. And then lastly, it's about measuring and optimizing productivity. It goes back to that point I made earlier about the sales management team, being able to see how advisors are doing and how they're engaging clients and how they can be more effective and being that coach for them to be successful. So we're certainly developing the products, I think, and the solutions for the industry to be able to address these multiple approaches and how they can use technology to be high touch and high tech. Um, But we do more than that. I mean, we talked about how we released the advisor of the future a year ago, and now we have the omni-channel advisor guy. We have a white paper that goes into a little bit more detail on some of the concepts that we talked about today. But how else are we helping the industry? Yeah, we think that it's really critical that hearsay helps be the thought leader and the evangelist and also educator Mm -hmm. for uh, people who aren't as familiar with how to apply technology uh, and enabling those advisors. So we do it a few ways. You mentioned the Omnichannel Advisor ebook as well as the Advisor of the Future ebook, both on our website, hearsaysocial.com. Um, but also we host every year our Executive Innovation Summit, which this year is May 4th and May 5th in San Francisco, where we invite our most senior level customer executives to come in. And really it's what I call the intersection of the financial services industry in Silicon Valley. They come in and listen to TED-like talks from entrepreneurs like the ones from Lemonade, as well as some of our leaders at some of our customers to hear about what the latest cutting edge thinking is around how to apply technology in a way that uh, provides valuable partnership opportunities or things on the horizon that they need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, um, you know, we do this with our clients. Uh, we educate them through our quarterly business reviews. But I'd say in the field, we've got some upcoming conferences where we make sure that we provide them the information and to answer the questions that they need to understand what's going on in the industry and how to take the next step. So, for example, I know just a plug for you, Victor, we're hosting a customer roundtable here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's February 24th. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where we get all customers together and we share with them the latest and greatest uh, thinking around the Omnichannel Advisor. We'll be at SIFMA Social uh, West on February 25th, also in San Francisco, where Clara will be um, hosting a fireside chat. Uh, with John Taft from RBC Wealth Management and um, our very own Yasmin Zaravi will be on a panel as well about compliance mm-hmm. in sort of this omni-channel world. And then um, at the end of this month, Limber Distribution is a great conference with sales leaders. Uh, I think it's February 24th and 25th. Uh, and we'll be speaking there. Steve Garrity, our, our president, will be on a panel as well. And um, you know, we'll be there helping, again, educate and answer questions and uh, making sure that our clients are well-enabled with this information. So Gary, to wrap up, um, what are some of the key takeaways you would um, suggest, some takeaways for a firm that you know subscribes to this thinking around the omni-channel advisor and really wants to empower the advisor of today in 2016? Yeah, I think there's five things that come to mind. There's number one, it's really having the mindset of the leadership team, of the organization. That's not just marketing's job, but the mindset that's really important to be everywhere your customers are interacting and transacting, including at the advisor level. I'd say number two is then investing in the technology that allows for that seamless 
channel integration across email, text messaging, social, websites, along with those corporate channels we talked about before. Um, third, I think it's really investing in the teams to develop great content for advisors to share across those channels. Uh, we know that content is what drives the engagement and drives the, the value and credibility for the advisors. Uh, fourth, I'd say it's investing in advisor training programs that helps these advisors understand how their customers want to buy and how to be effective on these technologies. And then lastly, number five, I think it's for the firms to be able to leverage the data analytics and predictive insights so that they figure out how to continually optimize these, these communications and these, these programs. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, is uh, obviously a very important narrative and a story. We've been out there at industry events as well as the conferences of some of our clients sharing this message. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I think a couple things. I think one, this pace of innovation is only going to accelerate. And it's uh, for our, our listeners, you know, if you're at a financial service or insurance firm, the key is don't put yourself at a competitive disadvantage just by sitting on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. You got to get on the field to play, mm -hmm. do something, take the first step. Um, and, you know, we're obviously here to help, but I think in general, get educated to, to take that first step. Um, number two is, as I said earlier, just being high tech and high touch. It's applying these technologies to how business has always been done. Uh, but now it's just much more welcome and effective by customers and prospects. So a lot to think about. And if you have questions, as always, we encourage you to find us on Twitter using hashtag HSOnAir. Both Alyssa and I and Gary would be happy to answer any questions you might have. And we always encourage you to go online. And, uh, and if you have any program ideas or someone you'd like to hear from, please let us know. So we'd be happy to hear that. But I want to take this opportunity really to thank Gary for joining us and sharing his thoughts on the Omnichannel Advisor and the rise of the Omnichannel Advisor. Like I said, we're going to be talking about this throughout the year, so we'll be really interested in hearing the feedback that people have. And uh, actually, before I close, I just wanted to say thank you to Gary uh, for being very supportive of HS On Air. Uh, when I came to you with this idea a little over about a year and a half ago, we didn't know what it was going to become, and here we are celebrating episode 75. I, uh, I I think it's been great to be on the show. I appreciate being on the show and getting the invite. Um, but it's no, it's been incredible in terms of what you and now with Alyssa have been able to do in, in a short amount of time. I think um, the industry has um, heard about HS on Air now. I go to some conferences and they now refer to the podcast when I talk to um, you know, some of our employees, when they were candidates, they listened to this, and it's been a great resource. So congratulations. Thank you very much. So on behalf of uh, Hearsay Social on the Air, I'm Victor Gaxiola. And I'm Melissa DeSantos. And we'll see you next time. Bye. This is something that Eli started because a lot of the people that we were profiling and were coming in as part of the Employee Spotlight Series were people who came in after the three questions were being asked of all our new employees. And so out of curiosity, we want to know, what is your favorite color? I would say red. Red. And specifically hearsay red. Oh, good wow. choice. What wow. What a marketer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hearsay red. But, uh, as I understand it, and Harry will appreciate this, Pantone 186. Ah, very nice. Exact. Oh. Very nice. <laughs> Um, how about your favorite movie? 
Uh, I would say my favorite movie is The Matrix. I'm a big oh. sci-fi guy. That when I saw that movie back way when, it was just kind of blew my mind and mm-hmm. it's, it stuck with me. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, The Matrix. Good choice. Good choice. So third question uh, that we ask is, what is your spirit animal? I'm gonna go with a dog, namely a black lab. Wow. Some of the best dogs out there. And uh, I, I have a black lab at home, Bella. How are you, Bella? And I feel like, you know, she, we share a, a special bond and I think, and you know, dogs are awesome, so. Always have a good attitude. Yeah. Yes. Love it. I can see all of that. This has been a Hearsay Social production. Recorded in our state-of-the-art recording studios in San Francisco, California, the Great Golden State, seated at the watery edge of the majestic Pacific Ocean. We'd like to take this brief moment in the vast expanse of time to thank you, our listeners, for lending us your ears. For we understand that your time is precious. Like the most delicately crafted pearl cradled at the bottom of the sea, Truly, we hope to our most inner heart and soul that you'll consider joining us for next week's episode. But until then, Godspeed, and follow us on Twitter 